Warning, this episode contains details that some listeners may find disturbing. 1878, Amherst, Nova Scotia, Canada. Esther Cox, a young woman, began experiencing strange and terrifying paranormal events in her home. She reported hearing unexplainable noises such as knocking and scratching sounds, and soon these events escalated into objects moving, flying across rooms, and even Esther's body is reported to have sometimes swelled up. A physical manifestation of an attack from the spirit world. Eventually, fires started without reason, putting the whole neighborhood in danger. It was soon full-blown poltergeist activity. Esther's story is the basis for what is now known as the Great Amherst Mystery. This is a study of strange. Welcome to the show. I'm Michael May, and with me today is my old friend TJ Rotel. And TJ, you have a background in a, a lot of entertainment background. You've been performing, you've been producing primarily a lot of like digital content. Didn't you get started in like the digital world when people were making I, web series and stuff? I did. I'm an OG YouTube kid um, back yeah. from the digital age, the the birth of new media. That's uh, That's where that's- I got my start. Absolutely. And then you even ran a studio for a while doing digital content. I did. Yeah. I didn't I didn't run by like what I'm allowed to talk about. So I don't want to like put you on the spot of anything. But oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, no, okay. nothing. There's there. I mean, everything. Everything's pretty much out there on the world. So OK, good. Uh, you can talk about anything you want. I didn't want to like bring up something and you'd be like, Shh, I don't I hate those guys. So I don't want to talk no. about it. <laughs> no, I, don't, I don't hate anybody. I'm a I'm a pretty yeah. I'm a pretty uh, friendly dude. Thank you for being on the show, TJ. You don't live in LA anymore, so it's nice to see you. This podcast has been a nice excuse to like hang out with people that I don't talk to enough. Absolutely. So I appreciate you being here. And as the audience knows, because they will have gotten an, an intro that you do not get to hear, uh, but this story is is a we're dealing with some spooks and spirits. <laughs> I was about to say, as I like to say, spooks and spirits. I don't think I've ever said that before. But we're dealing with some spooks and spirits. And this is a this is kind of like a Canadian version of like Amityville or something like that, where it's it's a relatively well-known story in Canada that deals with with a, a woman and her family who are experiencing a lot of horrifying haunts. And uh it it's a it's an amazing story that a listener who I, I'm not going to name because I haven't asked if I can use her name, uh, but a listener suggested that I look into this story. And I'm so glad she did reach out and suggest it because this is a good one. I have a lot of thoughts. I don't know if I have anything quite new that's like not out there to bring to this story, but I definitely have a lot of details that I, I don't think most people are aware of that have come across it. Any questions before we get going, TJ? I mean, you, you sold me with Canadian Amityville. So yeah. I mean, like my, my brain's already spinning of what this could possibly be. That, <laughs> nice. that, that's a hell of a, of a, <laughs> of a comparison. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, it, it may not be the best comparison, but it's it's just jump what jumped into my head. Uh, so I'm going to start from the beginning here. So this takes place in Amherst, Nova Scotia, not Amherst, Massachusetts, where my wife is from, but Amherst, Nova Scotia. This is like the far east side of Canada on the coast. 
and it shares a border with New Brunswick. Amherst itself, the town, was settled in 1764 by loyalists for the British crown, people that fled during and after the War of Independence in America, and also immigrants that came in after the expulsion of the Acadians, which is a a brutal period of Canadian history that I was like, oh, I'll look into that a little bit. And I was like, oh, this is too complicated for this episode. So (laughs) I'll read about that later. (laughs) The total population today is like it's around like 10,000 residents today so it's not a it's it's a small town but it's that's not a pretty like, small town yeah, like yeah where i grew yeah. up it was like the 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 population was like 5,000 and change yeah so yeah. like that's a that's a pretty small town and it's a pretty small town at the time of the events in 1878 or yeah 1878 is where we're getting started uh the population was 2 to 3,000 people which again it's small but at that time in canada like I kind of think that's a pretty decent sized town for the time, I would imagine anyway. Oh, I would I would think so. Yeah. Yes. So the Amherst mystery still may be known as one of the most famous things that have happened in Amherst in Canada. And it is the story of a woman named Esther Cox. And this has become a bit of like the calling card for this city of, of Amherst. Like they have the Esther Festival now. Like they're Esther Fest. Esther Fest. It's uh, it's almost like Salem. Like they're kind of trying to build some tourism around this story, as they should. I love stuff like this. Like this does make me want to go visit. Oh and yeah, I would. If you if you ever if you want to go to that festival, I will one hundred percent go with you. This, oh man, that sounds we'd have fantastic. so much fun. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, yeah. yeah. So Esther lived with a bunch of her family members in a two-story timber frame house in town and timber frame uh careful of fires that actually does come up in this story but uh, i covered the the solder uh children mystery and that was a timber frame house that just lit up and burnt down very quickly that's what happens when you build your house out of matchsticks right it's like (laughs) yeah yeah exactly build it out of matchsticks is good yeah and this relatively small house uh, she had, I think it was nine people total. Let me see if I got that number right. She lived in it with her married sister, Olive Teed, Olive's husband, Daniel. Their two young children, Willie and George, John Teed, who is Daniel's brother, William Cox, and Jane, Jane's a sister. And that would also include Esther. So how many is that? Is that eight? Eight. Okay. I know. I know a William Cox. I wonder if they're related. Oh, that'd be interesting, wouldn't it? That would be pretty cool. You should actually just find out for my own curiosity. So uh, Esther's sister, Jane, they shared a room together. Jane, in some accounts, is referred to as Ginny. And I don't know if that's just a mistake because this is over 100 years ago, or if maybe she went by Ginny, but her real name is Jane. Uh, For a while, I thought they were two different people. But as I got into it, I actually think they are the same person. And... Esther was raised by her grandmother. Her father left when she was a baby. Her mother also died when she was young. And Esther is the youngest sibling in this large family. And she was also known to be physically pretty small and frail. She had brown eyes and or brown hair and blue eyes. And her grandmother, who was raising her, also died when she was a teenager. And this is essentially why she's living with so many relatives because she's only 18 when this story starts in 1878. So she needs a place to live and, you know, family are of course going to let her live there. Been there. Been there indeed. Me too. And Esther, her day-to-day routine was helping take care of the house and also watching her young nephews, Willie and George. On August 28th, 1878, 
This is where things kind of kind of start. Esther came home from a carriage ride with a, a gentleman named Bob McNeil. And it's a it's a date. She was courting this gentleman, this Bob. Classic and, carriage ride first date. Absolutely. And the morning before she went on this date, she was uh, sitting around with her sister Olive. And a bit of what I'll call like a premonition perhaps comes into play here, where this she talks to her sister Olive about this very strange dream that could mean a variety of things. And this account comes directly from a book that is the book that kind of made the great Amherst mystery a story, which we can't fully trust. I'll get more into the book later on, but it was written by a guy guy named Walter Hubble, who was an actor. So, you know, you can't trust him, uh, who came (laughs) and like wrote about this account, uh, wrote about this story. So anyway, in, in Hubble's book, he actually writes this scene of what Esther and her sister Olive were talking about before going on this date. And this is actually where our first scene's going to come into play, TJ. Ooh. So in that script I sent you, I have to pull yes. it up myself. All right. So it's uh, scene one. Do you have that in front of you? I do. Cool. Let's have you read. Do you want to read Esther? Sure. All right. Do you, to, do you want me to do her voice or do you want me to just be TJ doing Esther? <laughs> try, try her voice. Try her voice. I say try is it. She- and if it doesn't work, you can stop. <laughs> is she is she is she British? I mean, no, she's Canadian. But you know what? Go oh, for boy. it. That's Go for it. My bad might be too. Terrible. I don't. Wanna, I don't want to. I don't want to offend anybody. In yeah, Canada. it's true. It's Can- true. Canadian that is. Years. Yeah. Um. And I'll read the kind of the descriptions. Okay. All right. So it's the lead family home in the kitchen. One early evening, and Esther Cox is sitting at the dining table, speaking with her sister Olive. I had the most precarious dream last night. Oh, a dream? Do go on. Last night, I sat for two hours on the front step, looking at the stars. After I came in, I went down into the cellar in my stockings and drank a pint of buttermilk, and a large rat ran between my feet. Then went to my room, said prayers, and went to bed. I dreamed that I would have, that I dreamed that when I got up in the morning, everything and everybody changed except myself. What do you mean? You, Dan, Jane, Brother William, John Teed, Willie, and George, all had heads like bears. <laughs> <laughs> and, and then she laughed. Yes. Uh, <laughs> it's a script note. You all had eyes as large as horses' eyes, only they were blood red. I heard a noise in the street, and on going to the door, I saw hundreds of black bulls coming towards the house, blood dripping from their mouths. I woke up and found I'd fallen out of bed. Do you think there's truth in this dream? Did you ever know one to come true? Or was it cause or, or was it caused by the pint of buttermilk and the rat? <laughs> I never could make up my mind fully, but this I am certain. Whatever Dan dreams comes true, there is no doubt about that. So yes, that is, uh, that's, uh, again, that is a scene from Walter Hubble's book. He claims this happened the day before, or the, before Esther went out on, on a date that kind of starts things off in our haunted tales. So I don't know if this is true, to be very honest. The book is cannot fully be trusted, but it is interesting, and it is. I mean, have you ever have you ever had a pint of buttermilk and seen a rat? 
that could do that could do things it, to a person, it could set you know off I mean? that could like, set off things a, yeah yeah i do love that i do love that do you think this was caused by the pint of buttermilk <laughs> well i mean like you're like this is the 1800s right like it's yeah. like they're, medicine they're, they're using leeches and bloodletting yes, at this point exactly like, it's like it's a very different world of medicine it's like it is like it is hysteria is a, a thing that that women are getting diagnosed with at the doctor's office and she also talks about it it's almost like someone sneaking downstairs to eat ice cream in the middle of the night but it's like having a pint of buttermilk instead which by the way i like buttermilk most people hate it and i you can't have a lot of it though it is rich and like hits your stomach pretty hard like yeah i'll have like a sip and be like ooh, get get like a little kick yeah, from little it or something. whatever yeah but it's uh not something you would want to drink a pint of at least you know that's what i would think so anyway <laughs> <laughs> so the the previous day Esther uh, was supposed to go out with Bob and he canceled on her. So she's very excited this this night, the same night that she's talking to Olive here. And Bob ends up showing up in the carriage. He picks up Esther. She gets in the carriage and they go for a ride. I don't think they knew where they were going or she didn't know where they were going. But it's, you know, it's a nice romantic carriage ride. And he takes her out of town. So they end up in some stories. They say like, the swamp area and some stories it's just the woods but it's just it's out of, out of town and when they get out of town and they're alone bob pulls a gun on esther and says what? to get out of the carriage yeah and the story goes that as soon as he gets out of the carriage and he's holding a gun to esther they hear another carriage coming and this startles bob and it's like oh get back in the carriage and like makes her get back in the carriage and takes her home she comes home. She doesn't tell anybody about this event. She just like runs to bed crying. And so the family's just like, oh, I wonder if she and Bob broke up or had a fight. You know, that's what everybody's assuming. They don't think it's sure. something this crazy serious. So that's the that's the tale that kind of is, is told about this situation. I, I'm going to jump ahead here and say that some people, myself included, assume that if this is real, that might have actually progressed further and she never told anybody like she may have been assaulted or sexually assaulted that night and just didn't, you know, it's too traumatic to share. And it's that yeah. day and age where you don't say those kind of things. And, you know, so there's, there's a chance something, I mean, that situation as described is traumatic, but it could have even been more traumatic is, is my point there. I wonder like, cause again, like we're talking 1800s, and, you know, not to be crass, but guys didn't need guns to assault women in the 1800s. Mm -hmm. They just did it. Uh, it was a very, you know, not that times aren't really messed up these days, but way back when it was even darker. So I wonder if he wasn't bringing her out there to <clears throat> kill her. Like, uh, like not, yeah. not just assault her, but like, you know, because well, why the gun? Like, yeah, why the gun? You know, like well, yeah. you're, you're, you're alone in a carriage. Like that's a scary situation in modern mm -hmm. society. Yeah. When we have things like cell phones and GPS, like that's a to do that back then when you're in a horse and carriage. That's a I, I can't yeah. imagine what that felt like. No, no. I mean, there's so many questions about this, and I don't think anybody ever got the full details. the The way that we know of this story is it actually comes out during a, just for lack of a better term, a possession. She ends up sharing mm. this tale. And uh, so that's something to to consider as well. There's a lot of questions to this. I do think something happened between them. I don't know mm. if if it was an assault. I don't know if she's making up the gun story. I don't know. 
you know, all these things are valid, which we will we will get into reasons why. But I feel like something happened, that, something that she was not happy about happened that night. So a week or so later, Esther is in her room with her sister Jane because they they share a room, and they heard a noise under the bed. And so they get up and they start looking around and they assume they're looking for a mouse, and couldn't really find anything. A night or two later, they heard the same kind of sound. They start searching around and underneath the bed is a box. In some stories, they say they found a box, but it actually sounds like this is a box where they stored quilts. So it's a you know little box with like a blanket in it or whatever. They pull out the box. It sounds like the, the sound is coming from inside the box. And as the box is sitting on the ground, the box actually like jumped into the air by itself and then landed on the ground on its side. The girls scream because that's very weird. Yeah. Like and yep. And so the brothers, uh, the brother came in, Daniel came in, they, they run in the room. There's a box lying on the floor and two girls screaming and they just start laughing at them. They're like, Oh, <laughs> silly women <laughs> scared of a box or whatever. And just kind of write <laughs> it off. Uh, the next night Esther had dinner and she said she was feeling not super great. So she went to bed early and then apparently she woke up and was screaming, I'm dying, I'm dying. And Jane turned on a lamp and you know was watching Esther kind of freaking out. And of course, this is a scary situation. And Esther standing in the center of the room, her face was red as blood and she was grasping and like holding on to the back of a chair. And apparently she held on to the chair so tightly that later they found like fingernail marks in the wood oh. for how, how tight she was hanging on to it. And the rest of the family kind of runs in and they help guide Esther to the bed. And the the accounts say that Esther actually like swelled up, like her body like swelled. And someone said, I wrote I wrote a quote down and stupid me didn't write down which person said this, but there's a quote that says, I'm oh no, it must be Esther. I am swelling up and shall certainly burst. I know I shall, is uh one of the quotes from her. And so the family's horrified as you can imagine like her face is big her skin is apparently even hot to the touch she's screaming she's grinding her teeth you know again this is like exorcist type scene here going on and everybody's worried about it and then they hear a large boom almost like a thunder sound and then they hear another one and it shakes the whole room and someone in the family goes and like looks out the window and it's clear skies you know there's no storm or anything and Esther eventually, she's laying on her bed and she eventually returns to normal and goes to sleep. So really bizarre situation. Yeah, that's a wild one. Yeah. So over the coming nights, they kept hearing some strange things. And I believe four nights later, you re- I've read so many different articles that some of my timing, if people out there, especially people in Amherst that like know this story really well, I would get conflicting timing reports from my accounts, I say. So I've put this in a general sort of timeline. I may have some of my specific details. And like four nights later, could have been six or two or one. I could be a little wrong in that, but I'm trying my best here. I won't hold it against you. Yeah. Thank you very much, TJ. You're the only one. (laughs) (laughs) So about four nights later, a similar thing happened. She swelled up. This time, the like linens on her bed would fly off the bed and land in the corner of the room as if like ghosts were like pulling the sheets. A pillow underneath her head was thrown at John Teed, and Esther felt she, Esther said she felt like she was being shocked, as if like electricity was in her body. 
And they even one of the accounts I read is like even the bed was moving around and they had to like the family had to like sit down on the bed and keep it keep it down on the ground. And so they do probably the only thing they could think of is they call a doctor, which is honestly probably what I would do, too, is I'm just like, who do you who do you call in that situation? Ghostbusters aren't real yet. You know, it's it's a doctor or a priest or both. (laughs) Exactly. Oh, I had to take a sip of my coffee there. TJ's making me record this early in the morning. So I'm <laughs> so a doctor is called in and most stories, he's nameless. It's always just like a doctor is called in. However, in Hubble's book, I believe he names the doctor because there's a Dr. Kareet that he talks about. So that might be who this doctor is. And that's just how I'm going to refer to him. So Dr. Kareet calls in or comes in, excuse me. And he arrives in the evening one night around 9 p.m. as Esther was going to bed. And he said she was suffering from nervous excitement, which is very much an 1878, you know, mm-hmm. doctor account. Nervous yeah. excitement. And she was suffering from a recent shock. and But a pillow was pulled out from under her and kind of like thrown in front of the doctor. So... There's a bit of a paranormal activity that I'm sure he does not understand. The doctor became very amazed, and John Teed even tried to like take the pillow. The pillow was like pulled away from him. And that night they hear more banging in the house, more noises. And then they started to hear like scratching on a wall. And the doctor kind of followed the sound around and tried to figure out where it was coming from. And near the head of the bed on the wall was scratched the words ex Esther Cox, you are mine to kill scratched into the wall. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and then uh, apparently a piece of plaster from the wall, like broke off and landed near the doctor and they heard more pounding and shaking and weird sounds and Esther's in bed being scared. Uh, but at the end of the night, she's able to fall asleep and the doctor gave her sedatives the next night, hoping that that would like, if I'm going to give their sedatives before bed, maybe nothing will happen. However, there were still more noises that were even bigger and louder. And this goes on. And one day, about three weeks later, Esther goes into convulsions. And this is when she shared what happened with her on her date with Bob to everybody as she's like going into convulsions on the bed. And she ends up sharing this like Bob pulled a gun on me kind of thing. And the whole group in the room there starts to I guess devise or decide or figured out that they might be able to communicate with the spirits. And this is where our second scene comes in, TJ. Ooh, is it yeah. a, like a seancey thing? No, you'll see. Stay tuned. Cliffhanger. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, let's have you read. Do you want to be the doctor or yeah, Jane? I'll be the doctor. All right, so this is a scene of uh, apparently what was going on and while the doctor was there about three weeks after the big stories I've told where Jane, or not, not Jane, excuse me, where Esther has now shared the story of Bob and they're starting to figure out some, some things about the ghost. All right, you ready? So we're in Esther's bedroom at night and Esther is in bed. She's trying to rest and her sister Jane is sitting in a chair nearby speaking with Dr. Kareet. Dan and John lead stand in the doorway watching on. Doctor, I, I believe whatever agency makes these noises, it can hear and understand what we are talking about and perhaps see us. Suddenly, three knocks are heard in the room, clear as day. Oh my! 
I can hear. Or it, it can hear. <laughs> it can hear. <laughs> I believe you, Jane. Let's try again. Esther, do you know how many spirits are present? Esther shakes her head no, then buries her face in her pillow, afraid. Spirits, how many persons are in this room? Give us a knock for each one. Right on cue, five knocks. <gasps> well, look at the time. It's certainly getting late. I best be off. Wait, do doctor, you can't leave. I'd stay if I could. I've got a thing. Toodles. <laughs> so, so this is from the book? No, that was uh, that was me uh, adding in my own flair. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, what the hell kind of like, doctor in the 1800s? Oh, no, no, no. This, this is, is uh, I, I didn't mean to make it sound like that's from the book. That is, uh, oh that's my, my God, own that's interpretation great. of what may have happened. But the, the details of which did come from accounts I've read. I don't think I read about this in the book. I think I read about this in other places. Um, I can't remember exactly, but yeah. So this is they they kind of come up with this thing theory, if you will, that they mm. can communicate with these spirits by knocking. And this allegedly, that scene that I think is very true to what happened, uh, is when they start kind of figuring out this knocking ability with the spirits, and they devise. I think one knock is no, two is maybe, and three is yes, uh, something like that. And they would try to communicate with these spirits. Oh, excuse me. I have, it, I have it in my notes. One knock is no. Two is doubtful. Not maybe. And three is yes. So that is how they would, they would ask questions and get answers. And it seemed like these spirits were connected to Esther. And she had to be in the house for anything to happen. If she was out of the house, nothing was going on. And, oh. Yeah. And story starts to spread around town. The local community starts to become fascinated with the Amherst mystery and the events that are being reported. And even newspapers in town are actually competing against each other with like Esther Cox stories. And it's big news. It's big news. And one of the papers would be like pro Esther, like, oh, these are these spirits are real. She's going through something terrifying that we don't understand. We need to try to understand it. And like other newspapers, are like she's making it up. The whole family's in on it. Don't believe it. So there's these like competing viewpoints and opposing even like newspapers and towns and news spreads. Like some of these stories get out even all the way down to the United States of America people start to hear of Esther Cox. A Dr. Edwin Clay caught wind of the story, and he was a Baptist priest, and he wanted to understand you know, what was going on and see if he could help. So he visited the family and experienced some events with Esther. He believed what was happening fully, and he f also claimed the family wasn't helping Esther, which is a, a weird thing to say. And he had a theory that the experience started because of the carriage ride, because of the trauma and shock of that situation with Bob. And she became a battery for shock, is what he said. So the noises were like thunder that was coming from her body because her body has like electrical shock in it or something like that. And he would even talk about this during sermons in town and gave essentially lectures about what was going on. And this helped spread the story because people trust their their priest. So now yeah, it's course. giving legitimacy to Esther's story and the whole, whole town starts to be really become obsessed. Soon things progress in, in Esther's house, meaning 
things fly. Like now there's like objects moving around. So it's no longer just noise and her, but like furniture's falling over, things are flying around. Sometimes Esther would be found covered in bruises. And then fires came into play. It started with like matches. Like there'd just be matches that would catch fire by themselves. And soon other things would catch fire by themselves. And then there was a bit of a, a stop in these paranormal events. In late 1878, Esther was diagnosed with diphtheria, and she was moved to live with relatives during this diagnosis. And of course, she moves out. Nothing's going on. No, no activity. She moves back in January of 17 or 1879, and she moves into a, a room by herself to kind of separate Jane from her, thinking maybe this is safer. And one night, Esther told Jane that she could hear a voice telling her that the house would be set on fire that night unless Esther left. And the ghost was uh, had been alive and is now dead. So it's not like just a demon. It is like a deceased person who has become a spirit. And the family sort of called it in a room to discuss this thing. She repeats that she's been told to leave or else the house will catch on fire. And then allegedly matches started lighting like around the room. No. Yeah, yeah. And here's what's interesting is Esther claims that the ghost is a guy named Bob Nickel. And he was a shoemaker. And he claimed that, you know, he was the one saying he would burn down the house. This is interesting to me. I'm going to call it out right away instead of later at the end of the story. Bob is also the name of the boyfriend. Bob McNeil is the guy that took her on the carriage ride. Bob Nickel is the ghost. There's and also a shoemaker, Bob McNeil, the guy that took her on the carriage ride, worked at a shoe company with relatives of Esther's. Uh, so there's some there's some interesting connections to make with this ghost and the experiences that she had that are pretty obvious to me uh, if these stories are to be true. Now, there's a story of one day Esther and Olive are at home and the nephews are playing around. I believe outside they're playing around and Esther and Olive start to notice smoke coming from the cellar. They go down there and there's a fire. They try to put it out. They're having difficulty. They're screaming for help. And a strange passerby is passing by the house and hears them calling for help. He comes running in, takes off his coat and helps like smother the fire. I shouldn't say coat. I don't know if he actually had a coat. That's just what's in my mind. But he helps smother the fire and then he leaves and never said a word and they don't know who he was. So some rumors spread and some people speculate that maybe this was a ghost that was actually trying to help them and not a passerby. And the fire marshal comes by to check out the, you know, what happened here? And the fire marshal thought Esther started the fire. And this is not good. Neighbors are not happy because timber frame homes, like I mentioned earlier, they're you know, homes made out of matches, which like you said. <laughs> so uh, the the families around the, the lead house are like, uh, we don't like Esther being here because all these fires, you guys say it like matches are lighting by themselves. <laughs> this is dangerous. Property so values she, plummeting in the plummeting. area. It's all. So she's forced to move away and she moves in with uh, a family called the Whites for a little while. Apparently fires did start in that home too from time to time. She worked in Mr. White's tavern. He owned like, you know, a bar tavern kind of place. And apparently the hauntings followed her there when she was working. And people would even come by and hope that something you know, something weird's going to happen because Esther's working tonight at the tavern. Let's go see. 
And there's a story of like a knife got thrown at her and like stuck in her back. And the person whose knife it was like took the knife out of her back and like quickly like put it away. It's like, oh, the ghost can't get it if it's in my pocket or whatever and hit it. So that's a uh, yeah. Yeah, TJ has what? a great face. Great face yeah. right now. <laughs> just so confused. I just, so, uh, I mean, what, did she die from the knife getting stuck? No, in her I think it, I think it was like a small pocket knife kind of thing. Oh, so, okay. yeah, it yeah, wasn't yeah, like yeah. a like a no. hunting knife that no, got, no, 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 screamed no. in the back there. Oh my no. god! And I also did not. I don't. I didn't read that in many things. I, I only read that in maybe one account. So I'm not sure of all the details behind that story. And also, a lot of this. Again, we can talk more about this at the end, but a lot of this may be made up or embellished from, you know, locals and the game of sure. telephone over a hundred and what is 150 years or something. So, yeah, yeah, there's a lot to learn. Uh, anyway, she's uh, eventually moves out of the White House, White's house, not the White House. She became and president of the United States. She became States. president, <laughs> yep. And uh, she moves in with the Beck family in St. John's and around the end of March 1879, uh, she was there for it's like three weeks that she was with the Beck family and people would come and visit her and like study her doctors and lawyers and skeptics and magicians and all these people. And they, a lot of them experienced like strange sounds and knockings and her communicating with ghosts using like spirit boards and things, which are essentially the precursor to the Ouija boards. And Eventually, she moves back to Amherst and stayed with the Van Amberg family, where she was isolated out in the middle of the woods is where they lived. And she lived there for eight weeks. And all of them thought the hauntings had ended by this time, like things were calming down. And she soon goes back to work for John White's Tavern because she actually like when she moved out, she didn't work there anymore. And yeah, things seemed to return to normal. But in 1879, this is where this sort of B-list actor of the day, Walter Hubble, comes and he's heard of the story and he wants to meet Esther and write a book. He claims he wants to write a book to debunk everything that she's claiming is happening. But instead, he ends up being a big believer in Esther and writes a, writes a book that lays the foundation for all the stories and the fame that came after this. And yeah, he showed up and was like curious about Esther, meets her, and he ends up spending about six weeks with Esther and around her and her family. And he says that after five minutes of meeting her, his, his umbrella, which he had you know brought into the room and sat down, flew across the room and then a chair moved and he's shocked and had to like gather his thoughts because he was this big skeptic and now immediately he's, he's a big believer. And yeah, and he they talked a lot. He learned and claims that Esther said that five ghosts... Uh, five. This is where I'm going to mess up my counting again. She said that there were a handful of ghosts. That's a better way to say it. Uh, sure. We're following her around. So there's Bob Nickel, who I mentioned. There's also a ghost named Maggie Fisher, Jane Nickel, who might be related to Bob Nickel, Eliza McNeil, and Peter Cox. Peter Cox is apparently some relative of hers as well. That is this spirit that's around. And Peter is the only one trying to protect Esther. All the other ones are like evil spirits. And they also did not like Walter being in the house, so Esther says. So yeah, Walter writes this book. He claims a lot of crazy things happened, including like forks stabbing Esther in the face. And he claimed, oh you know, God. Bob is attacking her and sometimes her skin would inflate and she'd become hot to the touch. 
And Walter called this mesmert sleep, uh, or that's when she would go into like trances. He would call it mesmert sleep because mesmerism was a, was a big fad at the time. And yeah, it's his book is, uh, I did read it by the way, you can, you can find it online. I'll provide links. You can also find hard copies of it. It is still out there. Uh, it is, it's crazy. And I mean that in the way it sounds like it is a very it's a book that you can tell a writer is embellishing things mm. so for the skeptics out there like myself of these things it's like okay are most of these stories because this guy wrote this book and it like actually sold pretty well and it starts spreading around but he's obviously he's got to be either making shit up or embellishing it and that's just me people feel free to disagree read the book um it, it's actually a pretty quick read and he is a fun writer. Like he describes Esther, you know, cause he's a writer. So he's got to like, she's yeah. about this tall and here's her hair and her sister Jane is like this, but he doesn't describe like Dan or so, there's like two members of the household that he forgot to describe. And so in like the paragraph down, he's like, I suppose you might want to know what they look like too. So here, I'll tell you. <laughs> and it's just <laughs> like, he wasn't going to go back and edit it. This is yeah. the first draft. He's just like, I better fix this in the, in the, in the script here now. Yep, exactly. It's pretty fun. Oh, that's fun. So the landlord for the uh, for Esther's family actually kicked the family out uh, because he thought there were too many people coming by. There's too many looky loos. There's too many weirdness. There's stories of fires. Like he he actually did kind of force them to move. And this is when I think the blinky lights of dollar signs or even like the logo above people's heads started to go off because Hubble, the writer. Uh, John White, who owned the tavern, and Esther decide to go on a tour and put on shows. And they plan nine stops in their initial tour. They only got through two shows because Esther would be on stage and they would essentially just wait for something to happen and nothing uh. was happening. So the audiences turned on them. And yeah, this is, uh, yeah, it, it kind of change, changes the the public's perception of Esther because they start to question they started to become skeptical of her accounts there's even a story that like stones were thrown at thrown at them at one of the the shows oh god which i really hope is not true like that's that's just awful they return to amherst and she ends up working for a guy named arthur davidson and davidson's barn burned down when she was there she claims it was because of ghosts however she gets arrested for arson because everybody else says you started this fire. What's interesting is when I dove into the story more, she was actually arrested for theft. Oh. Uh, she was she was arrested for arson too, but I think it was the two things kind of happened right around the same time. And a neighbor's home, some items were missing. She was blamed. She's arrested for theft. She did go to prison. She served four months in prison. I cannot confirm if that was for arson or theft or both. So for listeners out there, if you know more about this, I would love to clarify that. Email me, studyofstrange at gmail.com. And yeah. Oh, no. Sorry. She was, was sentenced to four months in prison. She only spent one in prison. For and good behavior. For, I guess so. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Also, uh, when she's in prison, nothing strange happened to her or anybody else. So the spirits left her alone in prison. Now, this story is, as I've already mentioned, it's kind of propagated by Hubble's book. It becomes a good seller and people start telling the story. I've already mentioned the newspapers take opposing sides of this. So it becomes like a big news cycle thing. Uh, 
and yeah, again, some people are for Esther, some people are against her, some people think she's a fraud, some people think she's telling the truth, and eventually just things stop. Like Esther doesn't experience stuff anymore. She eventually gets married twice. Her first husband, it's you know, it's that that day and age. People die a lot. So her first husband <laughs> dies, she remarries. Um, and she she actually passed away at a relatively young age. She passed away when she was 52 in I think it was like 1912 or 19, somewhere around there. Uh, the end of Hubble's book, I'm going to read what he writes at the very end of the book. Reader, a word. This account of the haunted house in which Esther Cox suffered so much and the author had such a remarkable experience is no fanciful, fanciful creation of the imagination, but really what is claimed to be, what it is claimed to be, a true ghost story. So he claims it's very true. Uh, so here's where I go into just personal thoughts, TJ. Before I, I, yeah, yeah, share, share. What's going on? What were you going to say before what? Oh, I don't know. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, <laughs> so listen, I, I personally uh, believe in ghosts. I believe in the spirit world and, and psychics experience, like all, all that. Uh, I'm, I'm very, I'm, I'm a very firm believer. I've had some, some ghosty experiences in my, in my own personal life. So I, I staunchly believe that that's a real thing. Uh, so let me preface, preface what I'm going to say with, with this. There's a fair amount, in my opinion, of this story that I would and and would typically believe, but then there's these moments where I'm just like, oh, this 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 also does. There is some like, and I'm I'm pretty easy to to believe ghost stories. I'm just like, yeah, I believe it, but there is some stuff here that like leads me to believe there's there's something that maybe this started out as something a bit more uh, psychiatric uh, from trauma. You know the mm-hmm, trauma mm-hmm. being you know held at gunpoint, but then the 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 fanciful side of my brain is like, well, what if her her experience with uh, with um, what was it? Uh, what was the guy's name? Nickel Ben Joe, Bob, Joe Bob, John Nickel Bob, Bob McNeil. Yeah, Bob McNeil. Maybe her experience with Bob McNeil getting pulled pulled at gunpoint or held at gunpoint uh, triggered some sort of uh, latent psychic ability that that turned out to be that she that she wasn't experiencing a supernatural event in that she was being haunted but that she was manifesting these psychic moments of you know telekinetically hurling a pillow across the room or pulling her bed sheets off as this kind of energy was coursing through her as as she was trying to work through this trauma she'd experienced because again like like being held at gunpoint in the woods is scary enough, but this is the 1800s. There's a fair chance a lot more happened there. Uh, but the but the thing too about like having like because you start to talk like there's all these different ghosts and one of them is similar. Like I'd be curious to know what happened to Bob McNeil after that. Like what's his story? Because we don't like you don't you don't like Bob came by to pay her a visit or like he sent a letter. Like did she kill him in the woods? <laughs> like like and that was like her yeah. first. Like he like pulled the gun and she went full blown carry and just like broke him in half in the woods and left him there to die. And then like another carriage came and picked her up and like, like that, that's the kind of shit that my brain starts to spin up on. But yeah, like, I don't know, but there, there's enough of it that feels like it, it might've been that this might be a, a, a psychiatric thing, but I'm, I'm a, like I said, I'm a believer. So I'm like really trying to clutch on to the supernatural elements of this. Mm-hmm. Um, 
but that's about how far I can justify the supernatural elements of this is maybe it was, maybe it was her doing this the whole time through some sort of, of ability she'd unlocked with that trauma. So I, I actually do have some information uh, on both Hubble's book in terms of verifying a lot of his accounts. I do have some information on Bob McNeil. What do we got? Uh, and I do have some other things to think about too. So, uh, all right. Uh, I guess what order you want to hear some things in? I want to know about Bob McNeil because that's so, my that's my that's my leading theory right now it. is that Bob was horribly murdered in the woods by Esther uh, with her he was, newfound psychic ability. He was not. That would be make a good movie. No, uh, <sighs> Bob McNeil worked with Dan, who who Dan Lead, who owned the house that Esther stayed in. They were like associates at this like shoe and box company or something. It was like there's shoes involved with that somewhere. It's a boot and sure. shoe company, something like that. Yeah, um, that was in town. They worked together. He he moved. At some point, either during the story or soon after, to another town kind of nearby and had a family. But in all accounts that I can find, I can't find anything where like the two families ended up hating each other or like Esther's family heard the story. So they kind of turn against Bob. Everything seems to be very friendly afterwards. And he did not die. Yeah, it's just it, it's that's kind of all I have. I don't I wish I had like, well, and. 1901 he actually he and esther got together for coffee and had a great time and decided to start a book club like i, I don't yeah. have any of that information but it, um it, it in all in all seriousness though i i do think uh that no one really knows what happened that night at the carriage and it whatever did happen people didn't take it to the extreme of like, well, Bob's got to get fucking either murdered or fired or whatever. Everybody kind of stayed friendly, which is actually true to what happens in a lot of assault, like sexual yeah. harassment situations, sexual assault, like, well, shoot, that was my, that's, I work with that guy. I've got to keep my job. Like, what am I going to do? Mm. You know? So there's, it, it doesn't invalidate what she says happened, but it also doesn't, it also doesn't validate anything else either. I was just, yeah, those are just kind of the, the situation. It's tough. There's, of it. there's no one to interview right now. Yes, you know exactly. I mean? <laughs> it's 150 years ago. It's tough. Yeah. Uh, now in terms of Hubble's book, uh, this, there's a guy named Egon Larson. So he's Egon. <gasps> so that makes me super happy. Yeah, uh, he was a science journalist and he claimed that, um, that no one named in Hubble's book because Hubble like is like, oh, this person says this and this happened to blah, blah, blah. Egon is like, none of those people were actually verified. Like he's he's making claims and none of those are like confirmed sources or anything like that. Mm. Um, so that's that's a worthy footnote, because when you're doing something with journalistic integrity, you want to make sure that you're confirming and you're saying who said stuff and nothing in his book is is verified with anybody. Uh, Davidson, who's the guy who owned the barn that burned down, claimed that Hubble painted facts for the book. So this is the guy mm. who's, who claimed that Esther burnt down his barn and he's even like Hubble's, Hubble's doing some shit in this book. <laughs> so there's another book written by Lauren Glean Norris, who's a historian. She's, a, she's like modern day historian of this. She wrote in that on no November 7th, 1878, Dr. Karit admitted that he knew nothing of the writing on the walls. I remember the scene that the doctor was there and heard scratching and then saw like Esther Cox, your mind to kill. He admitted that he never saw that, never heard about it before. He also admitted that he never saw fires being set. 
And that was a lot of the a lot of the accounts where the doctor was there and matches lit on fire. And he's like, what? What are you talking about? I never saw any of that. So that's a a worthy thing to to be aware of. Well, you got to wonder, though, like doctors too, like so like and again, like this is the the point and counterpoint that my brain wants to make right now is like. Cause it wants, we, we like people we like, want to make all sure want to believe yeah. like, you know what yeah. I mean? Like we're all, we're all in the X-Files. Right. And, uh, you know, when you, when you, when you see stuff like matches spontaneously lighting or things being thrown across the room, that's great evidence to, to point to something supernatural going on. But in, but then you hear a doctor and he's like, I didn't see any of that. But then you got to wonder like a doctor in that age, would they support, because that that's 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 throws in the face of everything that they believe in and mm-hmm, like science mm-hmm. and medicine and mm-hmm. especially in that age that's witchcraft at that point you know what i mean mm-hmm. so like you're you're you know i i i, I there is that argument you know Absolutely. Of, was he backpedaling because he didn't want to believe it or he didn't want to risk criticism from his patients or his practice you know, so like yeah. there's there's always that point A, point B that you can make. It's good. That, and please like keep that. pointing that out because that's what I need, because I, I love these stories and listeners will know that I'll say like, I love anything kind of remotely scary or mysterious or whatever I'm yeah, super I'd into, say. but I am a big skeptic of, of especially paranormal stuff, but I try to keep an open mind about it. But one of my favorite things in the world is stuff just like that, where there's like, there's this account or famous account. Everybody knows the account of the doctor seeing the writing in the wall. And then you read one thing. It's like, no, the doctor was quoted in 1878 saying he doesn't know what you're talking about. Yeah. So why does everybody think? And I just, I love those little things that like go, wait, wait, everybody calm down. You never saw this one little detail that you missed. And I love that stuff so much that I grab onto it and I start, like not looking at the other stuff, which is even considering like, yeah, but would the doctor even believe that if he saw it? Because that's yeah. different than his own reality. So please keep pointing stuff like that out. Well, because like if you take out all the all the all the the scary stuff of like things flying across the room and writing mm-hmm. on the wall and and you know stuff like that, it, it points to like trauma response, like yeah. this type of thing, like like anxiety and trauma in the nervous system. Like as someone who's go, deals with that on a daily basis. It the physical symptoms of anxiety are crazy. Like I went through four months of my body twitching and convulsing when I first started dealing with anxiety. Like I was jump, I was physically jerking out of the bed as I was trying to sleep. That's how severe my my muscle twitching was. So like that kind of stuff is a real thing. Like that's that swelling, the skin flush, like all that. That that can all have very well have been trauma response, and that's why I I immediately jumped to was there did, did a fork actually fly across the room and stab her did was there writing because that's really the only paranormal proof you're going to be able to find because her physical symptoms you can really point to this poor girl experienced something very traumatic yeah she buried that trauma because that's what we do as human beings our, our amygdala will will throw up a smoke screen and protect our minds from fracturing into a million little pieces and and protect ourselves from from that trauma and just bury it and that that trauma sits there and it manifests in in lots of different physical ways so you know i i feel for her in that aspect and i i do wonder if that's not what what we saw here with this case but if there's you know but you again you always have that b side of no i i saw a fork fly across the room i saw a pill get thrown across the room and that's yeah. where I, you know, that the, the argument continues with that. Yeah. If there's, if there's, because people don't believe that shit. You know what I mean? Like, if I, if I went on the internet right now and I was like, there's scary stuff happening in my house, 
80% of the audience would be like, yep, you're a liar. Yep. Yep. You know what yep. I mean? But there'd be that 20% who'd be like, yeah. I, I, I had that experience too. You know, it's weird. Uh, I, I, I love it, TJ. I, I think you're, you're, yeah, I just, I love the way you're thinking about this because I, I agree with everything you're saying and, and it's adding a, a level to this story that I think is important to consider. And I wanted to talk a little bit about spiritualism <clears throat> yeah. because that is a, a very prominent movement in the world in Western civilization at the time that this story is taking place. And I kind of think all these things can be true together, meaning some sort of supernatural event, some sort of traumatic psychosis event, um, and also just things getting made up. I think they can yeah. all work hand in hand in this story. And it's fascinating. And I'll, I'll give a, a quick example here. So there's a guy named Dr. Price that came in to, he was one of the people taking an interest and he's a doctor and he wants to see what's going on. And he said he was in Esther's room. He could see things moving around, but he quickly realized everything that's moving is moving towards Esther. And I think she was in bed. And he's like, this is interesting because when you go to seances, things tend to move towards the person controlling those things by strings or some other mm, sort yeah. of fake device. And everything's coming towards Esther. They can't go away from her because if they're on strings, they can only come towards her. And also there's no electricity. Everything's yeah. like lit by can. It's a super dim, dark room set in the mood. And if you look at seances, that's also how they would do it. And during spiritualism, you had thousands of these fake mediums and spiritualists and psychics and people being, you know, possessed by things. And these are well documented and accounted people that were frauds that were making yeah, shit up are, to make money. Outright con artists yeah. taking advantage of people who are have gone through a thing and are trying right. to fix it. And so people are aware of how to set the mood just because it's it's in the zeitgeist. It's in the movie. It's in it's the they didn't have Netflix. Everybody's watching spiritualism, reading about spiritualism. Like, this is the yeah. big. This is what they're doing. So everybody kind of knows how to put on these shows. They know some of the tricks, or at least have heard of some tricks or whatever. And, and I bring this up for a number of different reasons, but uh, I believe that when you look at stories or accounts from any period of time that may deal with ghosts or aliens or monsters, pop culture affects the way that people see things. And I'm not saying those things aren't true. I'm just saying people see a UFO in the sky. In the 1950s, UFOs looked like UFOs in the 1950s movies. Yeah. Now, <laughs> now they're like interdimensional, shape-shifting, whatever, because that's also what's in pop culture and what's being talked about. Exactly. In the 1870s, spiritualism, this big movement of belief that you can communicate with the dead, a lot of times it's through knocking. That's how the Fox sisters that started the whole movement would do it, is through knocks. And here's this story that includes knocks. And, you know, things would move and you sit at the table and there'd be ectoplasm and all this stuff. That's the pop culture of the time. And a lot of this story fits into that era, that feeling. Like if this was a movie, it would have that look of an old seance, you know, kind of oh, thing. Oh, yeah, like oh. a single single lamp on the table. Yeah. It's very, like dark, completely vignetted everywhere else in the room. Yeah, yeah. And it's uh, – but I, f I feel like that's influencing her – but I'm not saying that she was just making stuff up. I actually feel like she was, my personal belief is something's going on here. And it could be like you were saying, something dealing with trauma, because that affects your physicality, affects your belief system. Uh, or it, 
she does that and it just becomes it becomes a way for her to take control over her whole life. So she yeah. is experiencing anxiety and trauma, but she realizes people are paying attention to her. So she takes it to a next level and sort of invents things because she's trying to take some sort of control over her life. And I have some thoughts on that. Yeah, yeah. Because I think we think of like like, and I'm going to take this ultra modern as in today, we look at influencers and we look at social media personalities and just fame in general. Like you're in the entertainment industry, you're a director, a writer, producer, actor, like you're deep seated in the business like I am. So, you know, when you get a taste of that fame and that attention, it's like freaking heroin. Like it is the most addictive drug on the planet. And just because it's the 1800s, doesn't mean attention doesn't exist. It's a it's a seductive drug. And this, like you said, this may have started as something very real for her. But then when you like, because you see it now, you see people who aren't actors, who aren't performers, they do something dumb on the internet. And next thing you know, they're on Ellen. Yeah. And like you like you and then the next thing you know, they're on they're in the news because they've gone to Venice Beach and punched a bodybuilder in the head and, and gotten beaten, beaten up and on the, you know, like, because when you get that taste of fame, you will do anything to keep it. So I, I, I can definitely see this being a thing where, you know, she got some attention and from that started as a very traumatic experience and then started to do either, either voluntarily or involuntarily consciously or subconsciously started to do these things that continued to pull people to her room, continued mm-hmm. to give her that attention. You know what I mean? Like, like that, I think that there's, there is something very valid in that conversation of, of, because again, you're dealing with trauma response and I don't, I don't want to talk shit on this girl. Cause I, I mean, I, yeah. I obviously wasn't yeah. there and where a lot of this is based on, you know, yes. the hearsay of who, yep. who was there, yep. who wrote the book. But you know, so I want to I want to treat Esther with with the uh, the respect that 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 people who've experienced trauma deserve. Um, so I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna start there and say Esther did experience trauma, and whatever happened after that may have been out of her control. Be that paranormal, or be that someone who just was so hurt by something that someone did that they did what they needed to do to survive, yeah. and that was put on a show. Yeah, we see it. Yep. Every day in the in mainstream media, we see it. We see it on TikTok in in all the social media elements. So why not Esther? Why not the late eighteen hundreds doing take taking advantage of a system that's built to one keep her down, and now now people want to have a conversation with a woman. And I think that that's a that I I could one hundred percent see Esther taking that social media influencer uh, plunge and being like, yeah, like you know, I, I mean, I and I don't know, like. Because it does, it takes work. Like these con artists, they put work into it. There, you, you you can watch videos on how, like, yeah, and this is the mechanisms under the table that got it to yeah. shake, or yeah. you know, the wiring to get the can't like things to flicker. So, but like, did Esther have the time and the and the knowledge? Did she have a partner? Was this writer? Did this yeah. writer end up yeah. being her partner for some of this? Like, there's so many different twists and turns. I yeah. I, I love this story because it's you really could like, I can sit here like a lawyer and make arguments for the paranormal and for yes. the not. Yeah. 
here and it's yeah. that's i think that's what makes such an interesting story here absolutely i really can't like i'm not walking out of this with a with a firm opinion on esther in either direction yeah. and i think that's great hey i do too and and you know this like i said this is a listener suggestion and i have gotten other listener suggestions i think i've only done one other episode that was listener suggestion uh 90% of them i i can't do and i'll politely just be like oh cool thanks uh, <laughs> and it's because there's not that layer to it like not to say all my all my episodes are amazing stories at all but this one really stood out to me when i was reading about it because of these like layers to it these layers yeah. of like oh this could be completely fake oh my god she could have experienced this terrible situation oh my god maybe there was a ghost or a ghost associated with this like it can go in so many different ways and i find that really uh fascinating well, you don't have to have one or the other, right? Like no. we, like we live in a world that's, you know, I mean, again, you've got people who, uh, to for lack of a better term, believe in magic and don't, right? Like, like magicians are a great example of this because what they do is classified as magic, and because they're so secretive of how they do it to their audience, it is magic. You know, and, and you can choose to believe that. Like when I see a magician on stage make something, when I when I saw David Copperfield make the Statue of Liberty disappear <laughs> when I was a kid, like I believed in magic. I believed David Copperfield was a warlock and was able yeah. to do incredible things, right? Um, but I think that's a like because because we live in that world with both sides of the fence. You know, I I I do wonder maybe I I do see a world where this was maybe a mixture of things where maybe a traumatic experience did do something that that tapped her into a world that she was unfamiliar with and maybe once it reconciled she decided to hang on to that and uh and and ride that train as long as she could and maybe set a fire to maybe yeah yeah <laughs> pull some string on a fork or something but uh but yeah get like stabs in the back that's an interesting one you know how do you you know if that really happened how do you how do you explain a pocket knife in the back from across the room so I don't know. It's it's yeah. a gray area for sure. It, it, it's when and whenever you get a writer that's involved, like this Walter Hubble guy, who I think was obviously just trying to make a quick buck, it, sure. it really it really makes it hard to look at these things because most of what we know from her account really started with his book, but he was had such bias in the situation because he wanted to do a book. He wanted to tour with the show. He wanted like, I think yeah. he really was like, Hey, this is something cool to do between theater seasons right now and make some money and uh, go up there and write about ghosts. And, but here we go. And he, she could have been, Esther could have been experiencing stuff very different from what he wrote about that. We don't even know because he was like, man, you know what? The weird thing that just happened to you upstairs isn't as good as, let's say, a fork stabbed you. I'm going to write that a fork stabbed you. You know, like <laughs> he 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 could have been the one making stuff up and there could be other things going on that are completely unbelievable and paranormal and whatever. And we just don't know about it because he changed it or wrote about a fork stabbing her or something else. So, uh, yeah. Well, great thoughts, yeah. DJ. I'm, I'm really glad you were the guest on this episode. I think... It was a perfect pair, and uh, yeah, I just I'm super really appreciate happy to it. Do it. <laughs> yeah, any any uh, happy to come back anytime you want to talk about ghosts and paranormal yeah. stuff. This is super uh, fun. I appreciate it. No, I love it. Um, do you want to plug things? Because I know you got some stuff out there you want people to pay attention to. What do you want to tell people about? I do. I think I think the main thing uh, I'd love to drive people towards right now is um, my my Twitch channel and my horror podcast, Blood and Popcorn. 
uh, which is on twitch.tv slash channel 29 that spelled channel two nine. And uh, yeah, we, uh, we, with my, uh, my co-hosts, Denise Pantoja and Glenn Akers, uh, we talk about the, uh, the past, the present, the future of, uh, of the horror genre. And uh, it's a lot of fun. And that's on um, Tuesday nights at 1030 uh, Eastern, 730 Pacific on twitch.tv slash channel 29. Nice. Thank you so much. Well, and... I can't wait to have you on that, on that show. Oh, I would love to. I'd love to do it. To talk about some of your horror movies you got cooking. That's really awesome. Everybody check that out. I'll pr- try to provide some links and show notes to that. And yeah, anything else before we go, TJ? I feel like I'm forgetting something, but maybe I'm not. I mean, I don't, I don't, I don't think so. I mean, I, w- I would just say like, to, you know, to your audience, you know, uh, don't believe everything you hear or read, but sometimes maybe you do. Cause the, I think there's, there's a lot in this world that, that we as human beings can't comprehend. Uh, and, uh, I think it's uh, I think it's fun to believe in magic sometimes, yeah. uh, but but sometimes that magic get a little scary. And if it does, yeah, you know, make sure you're ready. Well, thank you for talking about scary stories here with me on an early morning. <laughs> I'm still <laughs> drinking my coffee. Um, and uh, yeah, thank you so much, TJ. I'll talk to you soon. Thanks for having me. And that'll do it for the show. Special thanks to TJ. Check out his his links and information in my show notes where you can follow everything he's up to. And I have a bit of a special announcement. There won't be any new episodes of A Study of Strange over the next few months because I'm producing and directing a movie, a, a scary movie that shoots in July. So I just don't have time to continuously be making episodes. But I will be back after that movie's done to bring you some strange content. In the meantime, if you're feeling like you're missing out on strange stories, check out our Patreon account, which you can find through our website, astudyofstrange.com. I will be releasing some mini-sodes and some additional content over the next few months for my Patreon supporters. And if you want to support us in other ways, please make sure to hit that plus button, that follow button, stay up to speed with the, the show, and leave us a review that goes a long way to supporting podcast that you listen to. I'll leave it at that. Thank you all so much. Good night.